asked ChatGBT to explain the fire movement to me uh, in a Jamaican dialect. <laughs> and I don't speak Patois, but I believe you do. And oh, so you didn't I'm, want me to sound like the Black Cake characters now, huh? I want you to um, help me out here. So let's see. Hold on. Let me get the chat right. Oh, here it is. I know you're not about to put it in the chat and just ask <laughs> yeah. me to That's exactly what he's doing. So, <laughs> he is a professional troll. Rich and Regular Podcast, where we explore life at the intersection of money. I'm Kirsten. And I'm Julian. And today we are joined by Jamila Souffrant. She is the amazing voice mastermind behind the Journey to Launch podcast. And she just released her book. Let's see if I can get that angled out right. There it is. Yeah. A beautiful, beautiful book. We read it very quickly in preparation for this conversation. Yes. Um, Come on, I want to jump. Come on. Look at y'all. <laughs> and you know Speaking of journalists, you have you seen how Oprah has been wearing purple to promote her uh, her movie, The Color Purple? I was looking for orange, and your book made me realize, like, I don't really own any orange. So I just put on this orange lip gloss and <laughs> shout out to the lip yes. bar. This is my attempt <laughs> to brand myself with this bright and happy book. It's It makes me so happy. Yes, it does. <laughs> it does. Um, okay. That is not a great segue uh, because I actually... I don't want, I'm not necessarily starting on a downer, but I do want to jump right into the book. Um, and certainly when I think about the, the, the beginning and, uh, in many ways it was the beginning of your journey, but I like to think of it as more of a breaking point, um, which is your origin story, that moment where you are in, on that commute and you're pregnant, I believe, right? Yes. Yeah. And it is, it is just a moment where you say this, this ain't it. I can't do this anymore. Um, I've heard that story before. I know our viewers and our listeners uh, can certainly go back into the archives of your podcast or any of those other interviews. I want to put a little twist on that a little bit, though, because the world has really changed since that moment, since you had that breaking point. And I'm wondering if you can maybe help those who may not know who you are better understand what that breaking point might actually look like for them, like what their version mm. of this moment may be where they're stuck somewhere or whatever it is. But like, based on what you understand about the way that the world is now, like what might that breaking point look like for them to help them better understand what led you to where you are now? Yeah. You know, I would say that for most of my twenties, I just became accepting of the drudge, the commute. I mean, I, I did in those moments. So I always had these ambitions to be my own boss and, to have freedom from a cubicle. And I've always thought that way, but I didn't know how to make that true. And in my twenties, I tried different things. They did not work out. So I did eventually feel like I, I gave up, but I still had those pricks, you know, like it was still uncomfortable. I had that commute, was doing a job I didn't love, but I was getting good money and knew that I wanted to start a family. So I, I was accepting of things that made me uncomfortable. And it was that point that we're talking about for me was my wake up call was when I could no longer ignore being uncomfortable where it was like the pricks, like a death by a million paper cuts or like being pricked too much. Like you can ignore it until it can't be ignored anymore. And so for me, that was being heavily pregnant 
with my first child on this long commute from Brooklyn to New Jersey, which I've traveled, you know, how many times before? I was used to it. But this time was different because the circumstances, it was a longer commute because of traffic. I like to say the traffic gods were not pleased that day. Everything that could go wrong went wrong. And me being pregnant, also probably hormonal, hormonal and emotional, it just did not help. But I'm thankful for that moment because so many of us do tend to push things to the side or sweep it under the rug to get by because being uncomfortable becomes comfortable. And for a long time, that's what that was for me. And even now, I can definitely see how people, even if you get a little bit more flexibility in your job by working from home, since you know pandemic has allowed for some of that, is still that doing things for other people, feeling pulled in so many directions, not feeling 100% happy, which by the way, just because I am an entrepreneur and control most of my time does not mean I'm 100% happy <laughs> and does not mean Hello. I'm not pulled in a million directions. Those issues have not gone away. They're different now, but they're not completely gone. So for someone else, I say the journey to financial independence for a lot of people starts with no longer wanting to accept what they've been accepting and no longer being able to ignore what they've been ignoring. It can be a one big moment. So for me, it was a big moment that was sedated by a lot of little moments, or it could be a lot of little moments that then just blow up and make you feel like I need to figure something out. This is not what I want to do for the rest of my life. Yes, I, I can so relate because I think my my journey was very similar. And when I look at the timelines, our timelines are almost exact. You talk about this moment happening in 2014, which was, what, 10 years ago now, which mm -hmm. is wild to think about, but then you discovered yeah. fire around 2016 and in your book, you describe it as a seed was planted. And so I want you to take me back to that, that moment in 2016, because from there, when the seed was planted, you and your husband, Woody saved $169,000 over a two year period. Do you remember who first sold you on the fire movement or who planted that initial seed? And then do you also remember who those voices were or those personalities that were watering the garden, so to speak, over that two year period? Right. So 2014 is when I was pregnant with my first and then found out about, you know, I, I would say I can't pinpoint like the exact, I can't say the blog post, but I would say 2014 is when I found out about it. But 2016 is when I got, I started to really take action. So hopefully that's some uh, hope for people who hear about things but don't take action for a while because it did. It's not like I heard about it, Googled it, and then did all the things the next day. It took some time to start implementing what I was learning. So 2014, first kid prompted me to learn about the FIRE movement. And in 2016, my second kid, when I was on maternity leave, I started to blog at Mrs. Budget uh, Fab. That was the name before Journey to Launch. And then a year later, turned into Journey to Launch. But I do remember the first podcast that I started to listen to was Mad Scientist with Brandon. He, I loved the way he approached his interviews because he literally sounded like he was talking to a friend. Like in his backyard, he was so casual with his conversations. And I don't know if I had found him first or it was through um, Mr. Money Mustache. So like another very popular blogger about the fire movement. But between those two, and especially Mad Scientist, because he interviewed so many, not so many, but a, a bunch of people. I fell down that rabbit hole or what I'd like to say in the book is I click the hyperlink. So I you know, hear about this person, go to their blog and click on someone else that they mentioned. And, and I just fell through into this deep hole of learning about everyday people achieving 
levels of financial independence or freedom. Yeah, that was the good old days. I <laughs> My path was similar. I think I started more in the debt payoff Dave Ramsey world. But then one day, Julian sent me a podcast and it was an interview between Tanya Hester and Paula Pant, I believe. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it was two separate podcasts. Either way, I immediately was like, that sounds awesome. Like, what is this? And he was like, that's what I've been trying to tell you. <laughs> like, <laughs> So I, I certainly empathize with people who have heard about this and may have dismissed it in the past because that was my story too. It takes a while for that seed to start to manifest into things that you actually want to work on. Yeah, I um, I'm hearing a lot of things in in your response to the first couple of questions, uh, and I don't want to lead the witness here, but I I do want to dig a little bit more into, you know, I guess we kind of started back in time with that moment, and then into 2016, and now you've already started the blog. You've changed the name from the original blog, but I know you've learned a lot about yourself. But I would imagine you've learned a lot about the people you call journeyers along the way, right? Mm-hmm. So you've published, what, hundreds of podcast episodes. You've met probably thousands, helped thousands of people. And this might be a difficult question to answer, but I'm curious, what do you believe that you understand about journeyers that they may not necessarily understand about themselves? And I know that's a hard question. So yeah. let me, let me, let me let me give you an example, because one of the things that I, I just I was listening to what you were saying, there's something to the idea of being introduced to something, being intrigued, but then knowing that I don't necessarily need to jump all the way in. Right. Like I'm you said comfortable. And there's something about that word. Right. I, I believe that to some extent, many of them may be comfortable. They can afford to stick with where they are or hang on to where they are, because it's not like, you know, every single one of them are on the brink, you know, are, mm. or they're finding you the day before this kind of breaking point. They, they're comfortable. And there's technically nothing wrong with the path that they're on. But as you were saying it before, like there's, there's that thing underneath them. I think in the book you were referring to the quote from Les Brown about lying on a nail. Like there's this, that little thing that after a while it just becomes, it goes from being like, yeah, it's there. It's a little tickle. It goes from a tickle to an itch. And then after a while, it's just like a full blown, I cannot deal with this anymore. And I need a solution fast. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing that I, I at least noticed, but I'm wondering if there's, there's anything that you may have learned a little bit more about the people who've been drawn to your message that they may not necessarily have identified about themselves yet. Yeah, you know, I think that journeyers, that's what I call anyone on this path with, tend to be, you know, seemingly average people. So I know like your brand is like rich and regular and they're very regular, but there are parts about them inside that they feel different. And it's not like a better than anyone else, but it's just different. Like I think they tend to be the ones that gaze off in meetings <laughs> and, and instead of everyone's like all into it they're looking outside like damn I should like I could be out there <laughs> or people maybe you know they weren't always the most popular or well liked or well known growing up maybe people considered them weird or uh, they just didn't, didn't they weren't understood always but that's just because they had a different beat within them and they didn't know always how to follow that and as they got older and as you get older you know maybe you try to conform and you do well at it, you know, you, you you make it work, but you realize there is more and you don't want to do things the way that everyone tells you they should be done. So I find that a lot of journeyers are seekers. They're very inquisitive. 
and they don't know always the right questions. And maybe they do. They sometimes ask it, but there's no one always immediately around them to help them with that. And I do feel like when people do stumble upon my content, that some of that feedback is, I felt this. I just, just didn't know what it was. And I also feel like a lot of people, just like me, you know, I'm talking about money, but I actually, like, as you know, like money is money, the investing, budgeting, all these things. It, it doesn't, I don't wake up saying I can't wait to talk about budgeting or investing. It's just a means to an end. It's not like the goal of my life to sit down and talk about all this forever. I just want to live my life. And I think most people who like my stuff are like, yeah, we do this because we know it's a tool that we need to learn, but that's not why we're doing this. We're doing this because we want to go to the beach like Jamila does <laughs> all the time in the summer or to be able to have the flexibility that she has or she wants. Like, it's not just about the money. It's about what the money can do for you. So it's out together. Yes. I, I got to tell you that that shows in your book, that belief system, that that understanding of your audience. One of the things that I really like about your book is that you leave so much room for different versions of success. So there are, mm -hmm. you know, five different financial goals that range from lead or domino goals down to gap goals. There are six components of achieving FI and Four of them are tangible, but two of them are intangible. And then there's like the guac levels of lifestyle that kind of ranges your lifestyle from levels of fanciness to levels of frugality. And it just, it reminded me of, have you ever taken the, uh, the Myers-Briggs test or one of those personality tests that works <laughs> where it's like, it's a bunch yeah. of different questions, but ultimately it's useful because it helps you understand more about yourself and in relation to other people who are trying to do the same thing. Why was that so important to you to include all of the different options in the book? And was it difficult? Did it feel intuitive based on what you've learned from hundreds of podcasts and reviews? Yeah, you know, so I, I love frameworks, as you can tell from the book, and the ways to segment or have people look at their portions of their journey in different ways. And I would say that comes from things. I'm very, I'm a very simple but I like to follow logical, like things have to make sense for me, but they don't have to be complicated. And so I don't need, you know, to understand the most complicated thing, but I need it to be explained in a way that I know then I can explain it or someone else can learn it that way. So that's how I thought about the five journey or stages. Like what for me does it take to reach financial independence? And let's break that down. When I thought about lifestyle and how much it costs for us to live the lives we want, how does that impact our journey? That's where the guac levels uh, came through. But, you know, I, I remember like this was years ago when I was first starting and I had a little Facebook group. I still have it. But I remember asking the question, like, how how can I better help serve you as the audience? I asked this in the group. And then someone was like, you know, people like Dave Ramsey because of his steps, like people like steps <laughs> even. And, and because I'm still a person who likes to go rogue and not always follow rules, I do like guidelines. And then I choose if I want to follow them. And so I remember when that person said, like, we need steps, like, you, like I, people love steps. That's why someone like him does well. And people who actually break things down into segments do well, because people, even though they don't like being told what to do, they do. <laughs> they do like the guidelines. So that was one of the things I've learned early on in my content was in order for people to be able to place themselves within your work, like give them easy starting points, have them be able to identify based on whatever concept you're talking about, something that's clear where they say, oh, I'm here. And then, okay, what's that framework for them to move through it if they choose to, but then giving them options and flexibility, which comes into, you know, there's nothing wrong with if you are a guac level five, which is the most expensive, just know that that impacts your journey. 
in what it's going to take to reach financial independence and being able to like give that power back to people that there are frameworks, there are steps, but you can choose what you use to get to get you there. I, ha- I have the gut punch question <clears throat> that I'm waiting for. I'm not quite sure if this is the right time to do it, um, but I'm bracing. You, you, you just, right. you wait, you have to, you have to agree. Just one of those where you have to agree to it before, you know, right. before I ask. Let's see. Um, I want to, I want to talk about, I want to talk about home. Uh, I want to talk about Jamaica um, as, as it, cause I am, I am, uh, one second. You know, sorry. Wait, go ahead. sorry. One second. Okay, I got a call about one son being sick. Mother-in-law just came and said both of them are upstairs. Why are they both up there? How'd you get out? <laughs> My daughter's going to be pissed. Oh, My yeah. daughter's going to be pissed when Blake, I think Blake like, has some words. Came home? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I, I, so I grew up as an only child. Um, I didn't play those games, but I remember whenever I had the chance. I, and it's so gross, but I remember... Telling a friend, like, cough in my face. <laughs> cough in my face. Because I wanted to stay at home, too. Right, kids? I swear, kids? I don't know. Kids are not they're, they're gross. They are gross. Let's just be clear. Gross human beings. But, man, I love them. Um, okay, that is a nice segue because we're talking about family. Um, but but I want to talk a little bit about home. Because uh, you spend mm. a good bit of time in the book talking about Jamaica. Uh, and it could be that I just finished watching Black Cake and the combination of watching yeah. Black Cake and reading your book made me think and yearn for home. For those that are watching, listening, um, my family is also from Jamaica, but I was born in Brooklyn. Jamila, you were born in Jamaica, but were then brought to Brooklyn and raised there. Um, you spend a lot of time talking about your mother's immigration story, and it really kind of resonated with me because obviously my mother immigrated here as well, down to when you were saying that she grew up without running water. My mother, mm-hmm. uh, I remember her sharing with me that she didn't have electricity. And it was one of those things that I honestly did not know until like I was already in my 30s, you know, and it was like one of those things that I just casually captured just in having this conversation with her. I'm just wondering, and I want to think about this, like, were these stories and things that you knew about your mother already, or were these things that you only learned as you were in the process of trying to tell the story for the purposes of the book? And either way, how did kind of learning or relearning those things make you think about how her immigration experience affected your life? Yes. So I did know about a lot of that. I I do think maturity and age, especially like now being a parent. So I knew that she had sacrificed and came here at 20 years old, but I didn't realize until I was probably a parent, like how hard that must've been for her to make that decision, but then realize how necessary it was and how I would have done the same thing to, to give my, my children a better life. But when it came in terms of like how hard things were for her, so I knew that stuff, but I, I made sure that at part of the writing process is that I spoke to her and I said, you know, really go back and actually tell me again. <laughs> and sometimes you forget, you know, our parents tell us all the time, you know, what they did. And she never did it in a way that made it feel like, you know, I owed her. But I think she just told me things so that I would understand kind of where my roots were and why she was the way she was and why she raised me to be as expressive and bold as I am. And so some of that was just reiterated and I understood it better when I was thinking about how to frame and talk about my journey. And it was so important for me to include my mother's story because 
you know, I'm, I feel like I'm a realist and I try to meet people where they are. And I understand fully that for some people, you know, depending on your mindset and your perspective, you can hear my story and my starting point and say, oh, like, that's easy. It's easy for you. You know, like you had a great job. You had a good income. Of course you did this. I was recently on a show and the comments on the show from um, like, if you went to the YouTube channel, you know, there were people just like, yeah, of course she did this. Like her mom helped her and all this stuff. And I'm not, listen, everyone's entitled to their opinion. And I said, okay, I'm being forth. I'm, I'm telling you that, yes, my mom actually helped me when it came down to put that first 10% for my first condo. Like I'm, I'm being upfront about that. What's the point of hiding that? I'm proud of that. But I also want to tell you where she came from. And what she was able to do with little, because maybe you don't fully relate to me for some reason. And you don't see how, even though I had those starting points, I had to work to get to where I am. But maybe you more relate to my mom being a single mom who had to be on government assistance, who literally had nothing, but was able to bring herself to this point. And so I wanted to introduce her story and share it in the hopes that if someone couldn't necessarily relate to me, they could relate to my mom and see how her achieving what she did would be possible for someone else who was starting at a lesser starting point or had less less things to, available to them. Yeah, it's um, it, it was really really amazing, and and again, knowing you for as long as we have, um, I, I kind of already have an idea of how your mother raised you and the kind of stories that she must have shared with you. Uh, and I think I've even shared with you my wild and crazy theory on the personal finance community, especially when it comes to people of color, um, because I, if I'm not mistaken, a disproportionate percentage of those that are black that are in the personal finance world, whether the creators, authors, speakers, you name it, are of Caribbean and or African descent. And to me, I, I always find that interesting um, and again, it's not a matter of saying better than, you know, those who like, like Kirsten's family who uh, are like have deep roots in Texas. But I do think that there's something to um, the upbringing when you have a, an immigration story behind it. I feel like the stakes are a lot higher, uh, for failure. And as a result, there is a level of, grind, if you will, um, that, it, or even like a willingness to sacrifice a certain extent that perhaps other groups may not necessarily be willing to do. But uh, it's no surprise to me that you are where you are and kudos to your mom for, um, for doing everything that she did and finding the courage to, to, to leave home in search of a better life. Um, I want to stay on Jamaica a little bit, um, but switch gears, uh, to mm. chat GBT. And this will make sense in about 30 seconds. Because I don't use ChatGBT very often. Um, I want to say I've only used it maybe three times. But I asked ChatGBT to explain the fire movement to me uh, in a Jamaican dialect. <laughs> and I don't speak Patois, but I believe you do. And oh, so, you really um, want me to sound like the Black Cake characters now, huh? I want you to... Um, Help me out here. So let's see. Hold on. Let me get the chat right. Oh, here it is. I know you're not about to put it in the chat and just ask <laughs> yeah. you to say this. That's exactly what he's doing. So, <laughs> he is a professional troll. <laughs> so right. you might, wait, chat wait. GPT wrote this, but I was wondering if you could help <laughs> some of our viewers out there uh, and listeners. Wait, let me see something. First of all, the way they write it. Let me see. <laughs> 
All right, I'm just gonna read the first paragraph. Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna turn off my camera. I'm gonna turn. I'm gonna turn off my camera. This is a viral moment. This is a viral <laughs> moment. Leave it All on. Right. Jamaica, my fellow Jamaicans, I'm sorry. I apologize in advance. Okay. Midday after break at dawn, brethren. Fire was done. Financial independence retire early. A little movement where the people are trying to. Life in a way they want to retire early if them can. I literally sound like the Black K character. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to my Jamaicans. I'm sorry. They made me do it. <laughs> that was perfect. That was perfect. <laughs> that was perfect. And I will relieve you from any more questions about Jamaica. <laughs> because I don't know where we go from there. I was, I was personally impressed with what they wrote. It was better than what I expected. Um, but I appreciate you helping me to translate because, um, you know, the people out there, the people them need to know exactly <laughs> what this movement is all about. All right. I, I actually want to double click on continuing the, the motherhood legacy and talking about you and your kids, because your kids are being raised by not just someone who is financially privileged, but also an entrepreneur, someone who's been on TV, someone who has, you know, their face on a book, like just wild levels of success. And I know for my son, for Bo, it's just normal to him. We were, <laughs> we were in Barnes and Noble the other day. We like to go in and sign books every once in a while. And we picked up our book and he was like, why are you getting that one? We already have that one. Like, why do you need another one? So it's just normal to him. Have you thought mm -hmm. about how your kids are going to view your story or how you're going to tell them and like the generational leap that you made for your family and how far from the traditional path that they may stray? Yeah, I think it's the hardest thing as, you know, like, I don't know if there's a word for them yet, but like the kids of parents like us, who are the kids of parents who had us who struggled more a bit and had less. But then the reason why we're so ambitious is because we we had to work hard, but we still had at least some support from our parents. But with that said, now we're raising kids who are a bit more privileged. And how do you instill in them that same, you know, go-getter attitude where they are problem solvers and they're tough still and they are strivers when things are easier for them? You know, I think about my husband just because they're starting to play sports and the way my husband, you know, that he was pretty good when he played. He still plays, but he was really good when he was younger. But he had to figure that out on his own. He didn't have parents that took him to practices. He had to find his way. But I think that helped him as a player and his mindset versus our kids now. It's like, you know, we're, we're taking them. There's a lot of there's just a lot of support, which is not a bad thing. But I do think it impacts that dog in them, which we talked about which on social media a bit, that that is lacking. But they're still also very young. So I want to give them, you know, time to grow. But yes. with that, I think it is something where they know that, you know, they see me on the cover of the book. They know what I do. They've seen me on TV. So they're a little used to it. But I know that continuing not just to, you know, to include them in what it is to build a business or in the work that I'm doing is important. So it's not enough for them to just see me uh, doing this, but to tell them like what I'm doing and the work that it takes to be able to put the roof over their, over their head or to be able to afford some of the things they, they have without it coming from a sacrifice or deprivation mindset, but it coming from a, it takes work to do this. 
And if you yep. want to have a life that you can afford, because we took our kids to a restaurant to celebrate the book launch and my oldest son ordered the most expensive thing on the menu. And I'm I like, okay, you think, right. I'm like, you have very expensive taste, young man, which is fine, but you need to, and I don't care what it is. You need to then be able to give that to yourself as an adult. So what does that look like for you? So, you know, um, and I don't care what avenue you take to do that, but you should know that it's going to take some work and effort on your part. And I think those conversations and instilling that that into them, it's not easy because they have so much more than I did, but it's very intentional. Or I try to be intentional about that. Yeah, we have uh, we have the same conversations with with Bo. He he is very interested in money. He understands that it does buy things. He's still a little confused about how you earn it and how mm. much you earn relative to what he enjoys costs. So that's like the next layer of of uh of lessons, but I've been really impressed by how much he understands investing when we explain it in a really simple way. Do you talk about investing with your kids or is it more so just budgeting and saving in the basics? I mean, we definitely talk about the concept. You know, I haven't sat down and really gave them the compounding, like what happens yeah. as money grows over time, but that the concept of putting something away in expectation that it, it has more value in the future so, you know, you can buy this now for this amount of money, or you can wait and save up until you have more and then it affords you more. You can you can have more. And so they understand that concept. And so I present that with, to them a lot like, OK, you can get this, but I thought you wanted this other thing. So wouldn't you want to just hold it off and save and wait for that to accumulate as you add to it to get more? And I think talking about it in terms they like. Right. So they're into Pokemon, you know, V-Bucks and all this stuff. Talking about it in in that context is more relevant to them because they care about that versus something that they could care less about. Isn't that fascinating? We use gaming as a, as a metaphor too. We, um, we have like these arcades here in Georgia where they give you like a game card, which keeps mm -hmm. your tickets. Like, you know, the new age stuff, they don't print the tickets yeah. out the machine. Right. No more. It all, yes. It's all on the card. It all goes on this card. And so, yeah, we've used that as a way to explain that if you save it or, you know, don't spend it immediately, it grows. We've used other games. He has a racing game where you can get like nitro, which is like a boost. And so we use that yeah. to explain investing. But I really think gaming and finance is going to be different for this generation. Like, I think that's probably how they're going to get financial literacy or literacy in general, just life skills. Right. 100%. Well, if you think about it, just about money being so invisible for them, you know, they don't necessarily always, they don't see physical money as much as we did. And so having that be intentional because it is just swiping a card or now just putting your phone over a reader and, you know, that thing is bought versus showing that this is the dollars, you know, this is how much it costs here. I'm here. I can feel it. You can see it. That has been lost with these this generation of kids. Yeah, it's interesting because I spend a few days after school with our son uh, working on his first grade workbook and I find myself sorting through that section of like looking at coins and every time I do it, I'm like, I don't, I don't really know that this is even going to really be relevant. Like, yes, there are coins in the house. I could go find some coins to help illustrate this point. But if it weren't for Aldi, like I really don't know that I would have much of a purpose for using yeah. a 25 cent a quarter. Like they, I really don't touch 
physical money. And to your point, our kids certainly um, aren't going to. Which leads to my next question, which is, do you believe that there's any part of finance or financial education that is truly evergreen? Like if you were walking into mm-hmm. a university campus right now and we're in front of a classroom of 40 Gen Zers, 40 students, what would you teach them about money that would be relevant to the workplace and the economy that they're about to inherit? So I talk about this in the book that the like formula to reaching FI or any of your goals is simply, simply, but it's not always easy. It's just your income minus your expenses. And I break it down a bit more than, of that in the book. But really, your income minus your expenses equals hopefully you have some money left over uh, to then do all the things you want to do in life. And at the simplest, you know, breaking it down in that level, what you bring into your household and what you spend, like those are very important. Of course, there's the mindset and habits that help feed that. But really, if you spend more than you bring in, you'll be in trouble. (laughs) If there is no money left over after you spend on the things that you need to, you'll be in trouble. And so the idea here is that you need to maximize your income. But I think there is that level of the younger generation where they're not putting up with as much as we did, where, you know, we're like, okay, you got to maximize your income, but they're like, not at the expense of my happiness. And I don't know if that's necessarily a good or bad thing, because maybe that's what builds us our grit. But (laughs) there is this thought that, yes, you need to earn money. And unless you are super frugal and you don't need a lot to live, fine. And that means you can like, to the bare minimum when it comes to income. But for a lot of these, I think kids or people growing up, they want more out of life. So with that being said, how are you going to earn income? And how are you going to be smart about how that income flows out of your household to where you have enough left over to build for the future, but to also like enjoy your life today? And I think that's evergreen. It's kind of like you got to know what you bring in, you got to know what goes out, and then you got to determine the lifestyle you want to live in order to satisfy the long-term goals you have for yourself but the end of fun, wanting to enjoy your life now. Yes. Yeah, I completely agree. And although that's simple and evergreen, I don't feel like it was taught that way. Like I felt like we were we were given these prescribed paths that would determine, they were predeterministic in terms of how much money you would make, what kind of expenses you would have and what your life would look like versus what Gen Z and, and those that come behind them are up against, which is like, you need to learn how to decide how you make your money, how you spend your money, and what kind of life that you want to build, which is a really interesting uh, tension and shift for parenting because we have to help them learn how to decide while we're still figuring it out ourselves. Which is well, like, that's what I was going to say. I think that's a lot for a young person to figure out when we, you know, are, we don't even know. And so even when you're asking kids to figure out what they want to do for the rest of their lives in, you know, as a teenagers, it's like, I don't know. I didn't really know back then either. And I think that's where it comes in where you are putting yourself in the best position to be able to be flexible. So for me, I knew that I wanted to make money. So I was like, I'll just do business management. I don't know what that's going to do, but I'll just, I feel like that's a general uh, degree that I can take that puts me in the best position. Or I'm not going to take out too many loans because I don't know what I'm going to do exactly yet. And I don't want to be bogged down. And so I just think having those conversations about if a kid truly does not know, because some kids, I feel like they know they have this passion, they start out running, but so many don't. And even in your twenties, if you're still figuring it out is, How can you be financially flexible so that you can change your mind if you are not happy with something you're doing, right? Which means not being too tied down with debt. And if you are already tied down with debt, okay, how can you create a sustainable plan to pay that off? Or 
thinking about your career and what makes you happy, what's that trade-off between being happy but not earning a lot of money or having a job that pays you well, that maybe you got some time after the job, try out your passion. What does that look like? I think you need to start if you have kids or you are in your 20s early enough, even 30s, you can 40s, you can think about, about this, is sit down and start to think about the options you have for yourself and how viable they are and what it looks like to travel down those paths. Like if you do choose this path, what does that look like? If you choose this other path, what does that look like? You know, it's never too late or early to start mapping out your life or possible lives in that way. So speaking of options, someone's bought the book. They are wildly inspired. They go to the podcast. They binge all of the top 50 episodes. They're ready to change their lives and start their journey tomorrow. Uh, and then I think what happens for a lot of people, hopefully this isn't the case, they hit this fork in the road and it's like, well, real estate or stocks, right? You do both. Uh, for a while, we did both. Do you have a favorite? If so, why? Um, but how do you help people who might be at that fork in the road where they understand the concepts, they understand that they want to um, invest in assets for the purposes of achieving financial independence, but they're stuck at that fork in the road? Considering you do both, what kind of advice do you offer people who might be stuck in that position? Yeah. Listen, I like the boring way of building wealth. I am a fan of investing, but not investing the fancy way, investing in index funds, target date funds, low cost funds where you don't have to actively manage it or pay someone to manage it, investing in your retirement accounts, taxable accounts. And I think so many people want to jump ahead. I think I do say this in the book that make sure you're set the boring, boring way and then do all the other stuff. Meaning, can you put as much towards your retirement accounts your Roth IRA, can you max those out depending on your income, work to do that and put yourself in a place where if you do the math, you're at a place to retire comfortably, at least at the standard age. And then depending on how much more you can invest, you know, does that jump that retirement date earlier so you can actually retire early? How much would that take you? And the way I looked at it is I'm going to invest aggressively or set a plan to invest aggressively where we're going to hit that anyway. And anything we do above that is just icing on the cake. Or if we take a risk that's outside of that, like buying property or doing something that takes more active investment, even if it doesn't do well, it's not going to wipe out the work and the plan we've already set. Like we are set for standard retirement and early retirement in some cases, depending on our expenses. So everything else is extra. So for the person listening that says, okay, I want to achieve financial independence. I want to opt out of the workforce. I would say first look at achieving it the boring way. How can you invest your way there? Low cost index funds. Is that possible for you? Most likely it is. What does that take? How much does that take to invest? And then, yes, if you want to diversify your assets and you think real estate is the way to go, I'm a fan of real estate. I don't actively want to manage real estate. I don't have the energy, time, or patience anymore like I thought I did in my 20s. So for me, my main way is just investing the boring way. But if you feel like you have more energy and you want to be more exciting, fine, do that. But make sure you're good first at the surface level doing it, like I always say, the boring way. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you. The, the problem with boring is that it's boring. <laughs> so how, um, this is my last question. How do you 
Do you consider yourself a lifelong learner? And what is your favorite way to stay up to date on your boring investments? Like, do you listen to podcasts? I know you make a podcast, but do you listen to them as yeah. well? Do you use Google, chat GPT, Twitter? Like, what's your what's your favorite way to stay yeah. up to date? I definitely am a lifelong learner. I may not sit down and do it the conventional way where I'm reading investment books or, you know, I tend to, I see my life in a way that it's not, like I said, it's not just about money, right? If there's something I'm interested in doing, whether it is writing a book, publishing a book, marketing a book, starting a podcast, achieving financial independence, whatever I'm drawn into at that moment that I want to achieve, I immerse myself in that world. I find resources that help me with that thing. I find other people who have done that thing that I want to see how they did it, you know, so a lot of deconstructing and creating steps backwards of what they were able to do and what I want to do. And so in that case, not just about money, but in life, I definitely am a lifelong learner. And I think it's important for people to identify the areas of their life that they want to improve upon. So whether that is career or making more money or maybe starting a business is how can you immerse yourself and find communities online or in person and resources that help put you in that mindset that lets you know what's possible. Because the first thing you have to know is it's possible for you. And the way I was able to see that things were possible for me is seeing other people do it and then immersing myself in those worlds and learning about it, getting the resources free or with podcasts or not free books or courses to help me learn that. And so that's how kind of I keep up to date or at least learning in my life based on the stage I'm in, you know, like, let's just say I did get the real estate bug again, and I want to buy property, I would then immerse myself in probably the real estate world on what that looks like. The good thing about the boring and, you know, way that I'm talking about investing is it doesn't take a lot of, you know, I, I set it and forget it. I don't, I don't check the markets every day. I um, also don't have that personality. I know some people have the personality where they have to check, they got to tick and tie all the things. I'm not like that. I have enough things going on in my real life. So the boring way allows me to let the reins go and check in when I need to, you know, and make sure I can still log into my accounts, make sure the money is still there, but there's nothing for me to do, <laughs> which yes. is the way I like it. <laughs> yes. So that's kind of how I view that. And I'm not, honestly, I'm not all for optimize. I know people like, some people like to optimize everything and, you know, I'm not that way. Like, you know, if, yeah. if the whole saving $5 or like, oh, you could have like made $20 more. I'm just not that person. So I'm not going back and checking what could have gone better. I'm looking at what can I do forward to make my life more sustainable and happier and easier based on all the things I have going on. Yes. Yeah. Like more people need to know about boredom as a path to freedom, <laughs> as a path to financial freedom. <laughs> Jamila, thank you right. so much for your time. Tell the people where they can find you and where they can buy your journey to financial freedom. Yeah. So you can buy my book. Your journey to financial freedom, anywhere books are sold. So bookshop.org to support your local bookshops, Barnes and Nobles, Target, Amazon. But you can go to yourjourneytofinancialfreedom.com. That's the book website. And then also you can listen to the Journey to Launch podcast wherever you listen to this podcast. And then I'm on all social media at Journey to Launch. Perfect. Thank you so much. And if you enjoyed today's episode, let us know. Leave us a five-star rating, a review, or a comment below. We will see y'all next week. <laughs> <laughs>